0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: It's December 4th, 1956, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors.
1: There's a royal protocol that prevents heirs to the throne from travelling together in case of an accident that could cause a constitutional crisis. Luckily, there was no such rule in place at Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee, today in history in 1956, when rock and roll royalty got together for an impromptu jam session to beat all jam sessions.
2: Yes, this was the Million Dollar Quartet of Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash. And... With respect to Carl Perkins, I mean, I'm not seeing a clamouring for a Carl Perkins supergroup these days. (laughs) But at the time, he was a big deal. He'd had a big hit. He was the guy who first sang Blue Suede Shoes, and he'd booked
0: the studio. And who turns up? Only every cool person in Memphis. (laughs) (laughs) But Presley's visit seemed to be pretty much a matter of chance to an extent. So by this stage, his career had massively taken off. His producer had sold his contract to the record studio RCA in late 1955, so he was a big, big act, but already there was this kind of backlash that had begun to be directed very much towards him, and for him this Sun Studios was kind of a safe space that still mm. was associated with the start of his career and where it all began and all of that. And so, as far as music historians can work out, it does seem to be the case that he had just turned up to see familiar faces and revisit this place that he loved.
1: Elvis was 21 at this point. He'd already released Heartbreak Hotel, Don't Be Cruel, and Hound Dog, and he'd just released Love Me Tender from his first movie, Love Me Tender. Carl Perkins was only 24. You know, he's easily the most underremembered of the quartet. Yes started with blue suede shoes and then he just never got up there again. And it was like a big one to go in with.
0: Red leather shoes. um. (laughs) (laughs) Blue suede tie. This is a snake skin (laughs) boots.
1: (laughs) But he was really from that moment where Rockabilly was transitioning into rock and roll. And so I feel like that's maybe where he doesn't get the same credit because we all know rock and roll as it is now. We don't really remember that transition the same way. Mm. And Jerry Lee Lewis. Wasn't famous at all at the time. He was there playing as a session pianist. He had just recorded what was going to be his first hit, Crazy Arms, but it had only been released three days before.
2: Yeah, but Sam Phillips, who ran Sun Studios, knew what he had in Jerry Lee Lewis. So, like, I mean, I think he knew that this was a safe bet. To the extent that this was a press stunt, I think... Sam Phillips knew that he had a safe bet, including Jerry Lee Lewis in that lineup. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Like, as Arian said, to an extent, Elvis turned up impromptu. Mm. But also, as I'm saying, to an extent, Sam Phillips, at the very least, leveraged that opportunity because he called up the Memphis Press Scimitar, which was the local paper. Why would you name a local paper after swordsmanship in Memphis? It's so weird. Um, <laughs> and the reporter turned up and took this one photo. And the description underneath. The only thing predictable
0: about Elvis is that he's unpredictable. <laughs> 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 and the jam session then covers off so much of, like, it is really this primer on where exactly rock and roll came from, because you've got, yes. like, uh, this medley of, like, gospel songs, bluegrass, blues, country, and then leading into the kinds of songs that they were doing themselves. And,. A few of these guys knew each other personally, they'd performed together, some of them just knew of one another, but this was an actual, at least according to what we've subsequently learnt from the fact that this recording started by a keen-minded uh, sound engineer, was is that they're just enjoying Kind of exploring the roots of their own music and inspiration together yeah so we have
2: all heard it because these uh recordings were released for the public to hear in 1981 and then they were remastered again in the 21st century and they're all now on spotify You do wonder if Elvis was still alive, whether he would have authorised that kind of access to what is clearly jamming rehearsal Mm. footage. Well,
1: also, there was no expectation that it would be released because really in the 1950s, there was no format in which it could have been released. I think like now, music fans are really used to albums of rarities, you know, like lost tapes, basement tapes, demos. But at that time, what would you have done with those fragments? You know, I think artists were able to be more relaxed in the studio because they knew that there was no home really for these little scraps of music. That's why you have, you know, explicit versions of records, jokey ones, because they Mm. knew that there wasn't, you know, there was no YouTube for them to be leaked on. There were no special collector box set albums that would treasure that kind of material. So you were able to relax knowing that they weren't going to waste vinyl on anything except the really good rehearsed stuff.
0: And you can just hear this little ripple of everyone having a bit of fun in the studio because, yeah, like the the mics aren't on. You're just you're just having a a little joke with each other.
2: Well, and also his girlfriend was in the room. I mean, the other part of uh, the photo caption from the scimitar that day was (laughs) that lovely creature sitting on top of the piano. That's Marilyn (laughs) Evans, 18. Did you see?
1: And also, (laughs) do you see she's described incredibly euphemistically in the article as being Elvis's house guest through Friday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you know? Makes it sound very much like there's an opportunity available yeah, from she, Monday. Yeah, she was yeah. a
1: dancer from Las Vegas he was dating at the time and they, she wasn't the only extra in the room as well. There was also a guy called Cliff Gleaves who was a friend of Elvis's and another singer. His voice might actually be on the tapes unlike one of Ooh, the famous oh, members yeah. of the, the quartet. We're going to yeah. go there.
2: Was it a really a million dollar quartet or was it a
1: $750,000 <laughs> 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 Johnny Cash. It's so you, funny. Cannot, it, you can't get away from the fact that you cannot make his voice out on the recordings. And it's
2: a distinctive voice. Johnny yeah. Cash
1: has an explanation for this. In his autobiography, he says he dropped in to listen to Carl Perkins' session, but he says that the reason that his voice isn't in the mix is that because he was furthest away from the mic and that he was singing higher so that he was matching Elvis. That's his explanation. Perkins, uncharitably, <laughs> dropped him in. He basically said that Johnny Cash turned up, they took the, the photo, photo yeah. yeah, and then he left to go Christmas shopping with his wife. (laughs)
0: Well, Cash has stuck to this story because in his autobiography, he says, I was there. I was the first to arrive and the last to leave. Contrary to what has been written. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, like, I lived
1: at Sun Studios. (laughs) (laughs) I was Sun
0: Studios. God damn it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, he is very insistent that you can hear his voice if you really you know, squint with your ears, whatever the equivalent of that is. Well, Elvis is
2: doing lead vocals, isn't he? That's very clear. It's interesting because this is a rare kind of supergroup where all four of
0: them are vocalists.
2: And yet you are listening to Elvis when you listen back, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, That's the voice. Even when he doesn't know the words. So like They do, oh, when the saints go marching in, for example. And it's like listening to someone getting up in a pub and doing an impression of Elvis at Elvis karaoke. Because he doesn't know the words, so he's like, because he's just making it up. He doesn't know the verse. Oh, when the saints! Let's <laughs> do the bit everyone knows. But you never take your ears off him.
1: Well, and perhaps that makes sense, because of the four, he was kind of the odd one out in terms of background lewis cash and perkins all came from sharecropping farming backgrounds whereas elvis was a townie so he was he was that little bit different from them even though he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and they were all steeped in religion and gospel music growing up and half of the songs the quartet song were gospel mm. because they were the pioneers of rock and roll but that was a new genre you know that's where they were making their money that's where they were getting famous but they didn't have any nostalgia for it because it it was happening right then you know it made me think of whenever british millennials drink enough they start singing primary school hymns <laughs> <It's> that <there.
2: laughs> what's strange as well listening to it now i found was that if you didn't know who these people were if you took your mental image of them away You would just assume they were black, right? You're hearing these four voices. You'd assume at least the majority of them were black. And indeed, Sun Records was set up specifically to promote African-American music. And yes, it's emblematic of everything that they managed to achieve and what great stars they were. But it also does really distill that he failed in promoting black artists. He was promoting black music through white people.
0: But the admiration that they all had for black musicians is really apparent. And there's this moment where Elvis jumps into um, Chuck Berry's brown-eyed, handsome man, and they all just really, really enjoy the clever lyrics that are all about, you know, that there's a great deal of underappreciation for African-American people in America at that time and they and they all love Chuck Berry's wordplay and how he manages to spin this song
1: Yeah and there's another point on the recording where Elvis Presley talks about Jackie Wilson who at that point had not yet gone solo he was a member of Billy Ward and his Dominoes he was actually the lead singer of Billy Ward and his Dominoes which I don't really understand but anyway <laughs> <laughs> so he's talking about how he'd just seen them performing in Las Vegas and that Jackie Wilson was singing this slowed down cool version of Don't Be Cruel mm. and he's talking about how good it was he said you know the first time it was kind of weird but I went back every night night. So there was this consciousness that a lot of what they were doing was being done better by black artists. Mm. It's an
0: amazing moment, actually, because, you know, you've got Elvis Presley telling the story of when he went to see Jackie Wilson who was impersonating Elvis and to, to, like, to illustrate the story Elvis then impersonates Jackie Wilson impersonating Elvis yeah. <laughs> except wouldn't
2: you feel if, if you were Jackie Wilson wouldn't you feel a bit weird performing Elvis's song to him <laughs> to for Il- four nights running
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean You'd that's like, intimidating dude just stop coming back man yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! Hi,
2: I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.